This is Let's Go Michigan with Jeff Sloan on 760 WJR. Your bird's eye view on Michigan's business and entertainment scene. Here's Jeff. All right, welcome. Let's go, Michigan. Listen, it's uh, perfectly appropriate to make this announcement. Happy birthday, Mark. Happy birthday, Kristen. Happy birthday to me and all other citizens of the state of Michigan. Happy birthday to the Great Lakes State. Yesterday, January 26th, was our beloved Great Lakes State's 187th birthday. How about that? Wow. She doesn't look a day over 21. You got that right, and she's a beauty indeed. She is a How beauty. How do we know it's a she? No, let's not know. go there. I don't know. It's a Saturday show on the great WJR. We're not going there, but where we are going with this story, do you know the history of how the state of Michigan was founded? No, fill us in. Well, I'm not going to go deep on it, but I'm going to give it to you generally. First of all, here's a really cool little fact for you. Do you know that Michigan is the only state in the entire country that's made of two peninsulas? I mean, we could go on and on about the great things yeah. in the state of Michigan, but I found that to be, you know, one of the things that uh, is really interesting about our state. We know we have more shoreline than any other state in the country. and We also have more lighthouses than any other state. We do. And more, I believe, registered boats, and we got golf courses that I think are at the top. I think more public golf courses than any other state. And on and on it goes. Well, listen, it was 1837 when Michigan was officially admitted as the 26th state into the Union. Didn't happen easily. Michigan's path to statehood wasn't without its own share of drama. There's drama everywhere, isn't there? That's fine. There was actually a skirmish with the state of Ohio. Not surprising. Continues to this day on the football field, that is. But nonetheless, this was for something a little more serious and important. There was a skirmish over Michigan being admitted as a state and where the uh, lines were going to be drawn geographically. There was a little thing called the Toledo War That delayed Michigan statehood and led to a trade. Toledo remained in Ohio while we got the Upper Peninsula. Good deal. That's a great deal. They can have Toledo. And then we love the city of Toledo, of course. Nothing against the city of Toledo, other than that it's in the state of Ohio. (laughs) But we love our Upper Peninsula. Boy, that was a good deal. And that made us comprise then of the two peninsulas. So there you have it. Happy birthday, state of Michigan. All right. Now. One of the things when we thought about doing our show today that you just can't avoid these days in and around the great state of Michigan, certainly in the Detroit region, the Lions are playing in the NFC Championship game tomorrow. Mark, noticed your Lions hat is on. You got Honolulu Blue running through your veins these days, as you should. We're all excited. I think we got a really good shot. I think so. Let's go. Come on, Lions. Come on, Lions. Let's go is right. Of course, playing out in San Francisco tomorrow for the NFC Championship. Well, listen, one of the big questions that I've asked myself that I never found the answer to is, why in the world are the Detroit Lions Honolulu blue? That's pretty. Okay, Christian likes <laughs> we the color. We don't want to be pretty, pretty, though. But it's a reasonable question. What in the world? does Honolulu Blue have to do with their mascot being yeah, a lion? a lion, right. You think it would be yellow or gold and black or something yes. that would represent a lion, right? Yes. There was a report that many now today Honolulu Blue lions are running through the jungle. The original logo was yellow. Okay, Mark. How about that? Mark, that's Whoa. exactly right. I did not know this. So here's a little history for you. Devin Skillian published an article on clickondetroit.com to kind of fill us in. And you are absolutely right, Mark. The original color was yellow. That was dating back to 1928. The Detroit Lions actually started as the Portsmouth Spartans. That was based in Portsmouth, Ohio. That city was about halfway between Cincinnati and Charleston, West Virginia. 
and in 1934, they headed north, but as they did, there's a gentleman by the name of... G.A. Richards. He was the owner of the Lions and a radio executive at WJR. How about that? And Mr. Richards decided that the team needed a new color scheme. So what did he do? Well, he'd just gotten back from a vacation of all things in Hawaii. Had a lot of time to look out at the beautiful blue Pacific Ocean. Thought it'd be nice to bring a little of those memories back and make it stick forever. He suggests blue, Honolulu blue, no less, as the color of the Detroit Lions football team, and it sticks. So there you go. I think it's so cool, and if you're listening, I guarantee you you're going to bring it up at your football party on Sunday. Right, you'll be the smartest one at the party. Absolutely. And not too many people know why the team is well, I actually asked a few people, but I never really dug deep. And now we have Devin Skillion to thank, thank for you. bringing us the story. Well, listen, you guys are great fans. Mark's wearing his hat, but I'll tell you one thing. There's better fans out there, more committed, more dedicated, even to the point where, get this, they're dyeing their hair Honolulu blue. You better believe it. Did you guys see Amon Ra St. Brown with his blue hair after the last two games the Lions played in? It is electric. It's cool. You like it, Mark? I love it. Listen, Neil Rubin published an article in the Free Press. He brought us the story. Where did that come from? How does it happen? Who's doing that? How can you get your own Honolulu blue hair. Well, here's the deal. Here's how it happens. First, you got to go to Figo Salon. They originated this. They're the ones that do it. Apparently, they have a relationship with the Lions cheerleading squad and do uh, a lot of work for them. And they created this process to get your hair dyed Honolulu blue. And according to Emily Moriarty of Figo Salon, it's all the rage. Lots of people lining up to get that Honolulu blue dye. You should know the process can take two to three hours and cost as much as 200 to $500. Sometimes it even lasts six hours. Got to get your hair bleached first. I got to take That's all the right. color out, makes it white. Then they apply the Honolulu blue dye. How do you know so much about this, Jeff? Have I'm, you dyed your hair before? Are you going no. to? No, no, I haven't. And, and I, I'm not sure I'm going to go quite that far. Okay. How about uh, your kids? In terms of my fandom. Now, I want to tell you something. Yeah. I got a little nervous this morning because my young son actually asked about it <laughs> this morning. How does that hair get dyed blue, Dad? Just wondering about that. Yeah, you stop wondering about that yeah. right now. And apparently the dye is a unique formulation. There's three different ingredients to come up with that Honolulu blue. It really is electric if you've seen it. It's fun. Amon Ross St. Brown has started a real trend here in the state of Michigan. And uh, there you go. Mark, if they win the NFC Championship game, Kristen and I want you coming in with your hair dyed Honolulu blue. Come on. I'll do that. We'll split it with you. We'll I'll go three ways blue. on the cost of the... Yeah. the as long the, as I don't have to shave my head, I'll yeah. definitely dye it blue. Right. And, the, right. and the only other thing we're going to ask of you is that you work from home. All right. <laughs> <laughs> How about this story? Closing out our first segment here of our show today. I love this story. Stay at home mom, Jessica Seacrest. She has a big hit on TikTok. She's now publishing videos, has over a million users She's uh, providing recipes and guidance to other moms out there who want to uh, cook and cook well, in particular, to make their little children happy. Her handle's applesauce and ADHD. So cute. I love it. So cute. She's become a big hit. Listen, 1.3 million followers now on TikTok. This is becoming big. It really is. She says, my life has been an absolute whirlwind over the last few months, and it's been the most fun I've ever had. I'm so glad that I took the leap to put myself out there because you just never know what's going to happen and what's going to resonate 
with people out there. How cool. I love her. I do follow her. Really? Yeah. So you followed her before this broke. You were just following her because you liked her. Wow. What did you like about it, Kristen? I liked it because she's kind of no fuss, no muss. She's funny. She's quick-witted. I I just like her. She's just my kind of people. And and it's not like she grew up wanting to be this. It's not like she had training or anything else. Just kind of happened. I love the quote that I just read that she said about, you know, you never know. Just put yourself out there. Give it a shot. Maybe you'll have a million plus followers one day. And this thing is growing bigger and bigger all the time. She says lots of big surprises coming down the road. More to come. How cool. Congratulations to her. Listen, part of what makes the state of Michigan great, people like Jessica Seacrest doing amazing things. All right, listen, great show ahead. We're going to cover a couple of interesting stories on today's show. We want you to stick with us for this. How about learning more about the way your job and your workplace can affect and probably does affect your health. Kristen, don't say anything. I'm, uh, my lips are sealed. <laughs> turn, her, turn her mic off, Mark. We know now that your job can affect your health, and we'll cover that story coming up in the show, as well as a really amazing phenomenon happening in the retail space where you need to return a product you bought online. How about this? Go ahead and keep it. We'll even refund your money. Well... How about this, guys? You know, we are becoming more and more aware in life in general about mental health issues, how stress can affect us. But think about this. New studies show that, and it does kind of make sense, given how much time we spend at work, that actually conditions at work can affect not only your mental health, but actually your physical health as well. New article published by Jamie Ducharme. She's the health correspondent at Time Magazine. She's published an article in Time Magazine, How Your Job and Workplace Affect Your Health. And it's very timely for employees and employers both to understand this issue and perhaps even be inspired to make conditions better in order to take better care of our teams, our team members, and also we want people whistling to work every day. We don't want them coming in being all stressed out about having to go to work. I whistle to work every day, Yes, Jeff. well... Yeah. You're doing a good job. I've, thank you. That's very good. I see you smile a lot. That's a good thing. Yeah, I'm very happy. That's very good. Uh, Mark, you and I have our work cut out for us a bit, and uh, no, that's a subject for another day. But listen, as I said, we've got Jamie Ducharme on with us. She's highlighting this important subject matter. Jamie, welcome. Kind of tee this up for us. Tell us about what's going on at the workplace that is so impacting our mental and even our physical health these days. So like you, I sort of knew intuitively that stress in the workplace could affect your mental health. But I was quite surprised when I started looking into the data that there is actually a lot of research on how your workplace affects your physical health as well. And in some pretty serious ways. I mean, workplace policies and how you feel you are treated at work and how you are viewed at work can affect everything from your risk of cardiovascular disease to even potentially how long you live. So these are really serious issues, and I think things that not a lot of people consider when they are thinking about ways that they can improve their health. Yeah, I mean, that's really eye-opening. But then when you think about it, one doesn't think that I'm going to experience physical health conditions as a result of my experience work. But as you think about it, and given the fact that we spend most of our time, I think, certainly most of our time outside the home, but maybe even most of our time across a given calendar, we spend it at work. Yeah. And a lot of us sit for our jobs. That We've is been given true. information about the effects of sitting at your computer all day, sitting for eight hours a day. But then also you've heard people that work the line, the physical... Wear and tear. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. absolutely. Mm-hmm. Well, Jamie, let's run down for us, if you will, 
kind of sort of the the overarching, you know, uh, things that we need to be aware of, uh, those things being the things that impact both our mental and physical health at work? Sure. So one of the really interesting trends that emerged from the research, something that comes up over and over again in studies, is that the amount of control people feel that they have over their work actually has a really strong bearing on both their mental and their physical well-being. And what I mean by control is feeling like you are the person to some extent or another making decisions about your time, the order in which you do your tasks, um, to some degree, which tasks you're doing, you know, when you can take your lunch break, all of these things that in some ways seem kind of simple and like they wouldn't be that important. They add up to a really powerful factor in determining um, how the stress of the workplace and the workload that you're faced with actually affects your well-being. So one of the most straightforward suggestions I got from experts was if you're a boss or a manager or someone in, in a position of power in a workplace, make it a point to give your employees some control over their time. Even if it's something as small as like, hey, when would you like to take lunch? Do you prefer to have an early lunch or a late lunch? Even small decisions like that can really help. Interesting. Um, Another big one was finding meaning in your work. Again, kind of a clear impact on mental health, but there is actually some research that it affects physical well-being as well. So, you know, asking if you can for tasks that align with the stuff that you like to do, or if you're a manager, asking your employees what they enjoy doing and what they might want to be doing. That's also really important. Um, And then another big one I would mention is social support at work. I think a lot of people kind of groan when they get the like corporate happy hour invitation and it's not something that they want to do with their free time. But there are studies that show if you feel like you have strong social relationships in the workplace, that can affect everything from your risk of depression to potentially even your longevity. Let me understand that. If I have important social relationships at work, that affects my mental well-being. But as I thought about that issue, it was more like it creates social anxiety to some degree. When I think of myself going to work, I'm there to go to work, not to socialize. And when I'm put into situations where I have to socialize, sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes, and I'm not antisocial really in general, but sometimes being forced into a situation where I've got to go make small talk with people that otherwise are my colleagues at work, as I view them generally, that can be stressful. Yeah. And of course, people are different. You know, some people love to have friends at work. Other people like it. It sounds like you are one of these just kind of want to get in and do what they have to do and go home. And so I'm not necessarily saying you need to make a best friend for life at work. But there is a good amount of research that shows even small interactions like let's say you were in a tough meeting. A colleague was having a tough time. You check in with them afterward to ask how they're doing. Something as simple as that actually can affect your overall health. And there's a rich body of research that social support in general affects health. So it it actually does stand to reason that the same thing would be true in your workplace where you spend probably at least 40-ish hours a week. And we've seen that a lot now with the remote work. We've seen the importance of having social connections. And now that more and more people continue to be remote, I can absolutely see the effects that this is having on their mental health. Absolutely. Remote yeah, work yeah. Is, a, is a really interesting issue because there is some research that shows people do feel a little bit more isolated when they work from home or they miss out on some of that social contact that we're talking about. But then by the flip side, there's also research that shows flexible work hours or flexible work policies that let you decide from where and from when you do your work are good for you. Right. So it is all of this is a balance and it's hard to, 
you know, find the exact right mix of things. Right. And each individual is different and their needs and their body makeup is going to be different. So I can see there's pluses and minuses on both sides. Yeah. And I sure. think uh, I think going back to this notion of being recognized at work and really called out for doing a good job at work can be a very positive thing in people's lives. But the absence of it can actually lead to some level of greater stress that obviously then. And I think one of the recurring themes throughout is how and this is really interesting It underscores how mental health issues can actually contribute to, if not even create physical health issues and how these things lead to it. So being recognized at work, being rewarded, there was a study you highlighted in your article. Maybe tell us about that. Yeah, this study, the one that you're citing is actually the one that I read that made me want to write this article because I found the conclusion so interesting. What they found, they looked at a population of workers and they found that at least among men, interestingly, the same thing was not true among women, men who felt like they put in a lot of effort at work, but were not properly recognized for it, either through pay or through you know verbal acknowledgement of good work or feeling like they had a good chance at being promoted, they had a 50% higher chance of developing heart disease than men who felt like they were appropriately recognized. That's at work. unbelievable. I know. I was fascinated by that. That bottom line's it exactly. right there, doesn't it? Yeah. And to your point, I think people think about stress as purely a mental health condition or a mental health you know, risk factor. But there's so much research that shows that living under chronic amounts of stress can increase your risk of a whole range of chronic physical conditions. So it's definitely something to be taken seriously, both from a, you know, a worker's perspective, trying to reduce their own stress, and bosses should be motivated to create the conditions for their employees to thrive in the workplace. You know, I was just about to make that point, and you made it. You made it. I'm glad you did. <laughs> this is kind of a wake-up call, if you will both for employees who need to understand that given they spend much of their lives at work, if not the majority of it, in their waking hours anyway, that there are conditions at work that you may need to be aware of and may need to prepare for and may even need to, in whatever ways that you can control, work to amend in your favor to alleviate some of this stress that therefore otherwise would offset, you know, the various conditions that come on the back end of all the stress. But the point you made just now that I think is so important this is also a wake-up call for employers. I mean, employers obviously want to get the best out of their teams, the best out of their people on the staff, and creating a work environment that is conducive to healthy mental health conditions. And first, obviously, that starts with an awareness. Your article certainly helps us become aware of that, Jamie. It is a wake-up call, isn't it? Absolutely. I've written a number of articles that look at workplace health in various ways. And the conclusion is really always that it's not fair and not effective to put this all on workers to tell them, you know, you need to do yoga or you need to meditate and you need to find (laughs) ways to to cope with your stress. Because at the end of the day, in the vast majority of workplaces, it is managers and their managers above them who are deciding on workplace policies that affect people lower down. So it is really up to people in positions of power to be thinking about how they create workplace conditions that are healthy and rewarding and not not contributing to undue stress among the people who work for them. Absolutely. Really eye-opening, Jamie. Thank you so much. You know, it really is an important subject matter, especially in today's world where we're more open to considering recognizing and dealing with mental health issues and how, again, just putting a bow on all this, how that can lead to various physical health conditions that really not only put employees, colleagues at potential jeopardy, 
but also decay the quality of work that's being done for a given company that otherwise could be better with a few tweaks here and there and adjustments to the way companies are run, the way team members are managed, and the, just the general environment in which they operate. Listen, Jamie, thank you so much for being on and enlightening us. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Jamie Ducharme, health correspondent at Time Magazine, how your job and workplace affect your health. That just published in Time Magazine. Good information, important information. Kristen, you whistle to work every day, as you said, so maybe not so relevant to you, but for most of us. I think we would say if you were asked on a questionnaire, do you find work stressful at times? Oh, gosh. You He's, know, Mark is such a homer. Oh, you know? totally. You got to love him. Gosh. He just he tells you. That, that's why, yeah, yeah. We're, we're fortunate to have Mark around. That is for sure for many reasons. But yes. It was great research. It was a great article. Yeah. And I'm happy to kick off the year with thinking about this. And as yeah. a manager or as a boss, how we can make better choices for ourselves as well as our employees. Right on. And we love that you whistle to work every day. Just don't extend that to singing. No way. We'll, we'll keep it at the whistling. <laughs> Listen, this is not a path to getting merchandise without having to pay for it. So we don't want anyone thinking that we're educating you about a way to hack the system. But the fact of the matter is, as our next guest will make clear to us, big retailers like Amazon, Walmart, Target, and others actually are offering an opportunity for you to, when you want to return something, get your refund, but keep the item instead of having to ship it back. This is amazing, but it's true. Kristen, have you ever tried to return something and the retailer says, you know what, we'll refund you and just keep the item. Yeah, it's happened to me a few times. Really? I'm kind of irritated because I don't want the item. I mean, there's a reason why I'm returning it. And so now it's on me to either recycle it, resell it on Facebook Marketplace. I don't like that they won't take it back. I know that you're not a hoarder. I'm not a hoarder. <laughs> okay, so that doesn't work for you. I've had it happen as well. And it frankly amazes me. Well, right. you, know, you have to ask the question twice. Really? Right. I can keep the item and you're going to refund the money? Mm -hmm. Without getting too personal, let yeah. me do understand one thing. What, what would you say is the average price of the items they're telling you to keep? Uh, roughly. I'd say anywhere from $20 to $50. Yeah, okay, so yeah. up to around 50 bucks. yeah. Same for you? Yes, yeah. yes. And I think the equation, and it makes sense, I guess, in this context, the equation changes for bigger ticket items. Right. They're not going to let you keep those and get refunded for them. So very interesting. Well, our next guest is going to tell us all about this phenomenon in retail. His name, Dominic Reuter. He's a senior reporter at the retail desk at Business Insider. Dominic, welcome. This is for real, isn't it? Tell us about this. Yeah. Well, if it hasn't happened to you yet, then it's new to you. And that's a big part of this whole phenomenon, I think. More people buy stuff online, and eventually, one of those purchases may be a no-return refund purchase. Obviously, it's probably more likely to have happened if you buy a lot of stuff online over the recent years. But it's a practice that many e-commerce retailers end up turning to for a simple reason, that some things cost more to send back than they are worth. Yeah, and I have to tell you, the whole notion of this makes me a bit squeamish. I don't know. Well... You go online, you order something. It could be from Amazon, Walmart, Target. You mentioned those online retailers, Dominic, in your article in Business Insider in particular. So we'll call them out. You buy something online, they ship it to your house, you get it. And for whatever reason, you don't want to keep it. You want to return it. But instead of returning it, sometimes they say to you, you know what, just keep it. You don't have to return it. We'll refund your money. And you, the consumer, then becomes the beneficiary of not having to pay for whatever it is that you bought and being able to keep it as well. 
Now, the reason it makes me a little squeamish on the side of business, this kind of portends, in my view anyway, it kind of indicates something broken there somewhere. That just doesn't seem to work. When it becomes more expensive to have someone return something to a retailer and to allow them to keep it and not pay you for it, that bothers me a bit. And beyond that, you know there are going to be people, you know they're going to game the system. There are going to be experts out there who become really good at this, buy a bunch of stuff, tell them you're going to return it. They're going to tell you in some cases, ah, just keep it and we'll refund your money. What do you think, Dominic? Well, you raise a bunch of very interesting points, and I'll try to hit them concisely as I can. So the first part of it, when it comes down to the cost question and what it means for businesses, the e-commerce, Amazon, Target, Walmart, two named the biggest ones in the U.S., have spent a whole lot of money investing in one direction for order fulfillment, right? So they have spent huge amounts of money in getting stuff from their distribution centers and their stores to your front door at a very low cost. They have not spent nearly as much money building up the system to do the reverse gear. So if you think about even your car, it drives a lot faster in forward than it does in reverse. And so they want things to generally go forward and that's where the sort of reverse logistics, as the term is called in the industry, is a bit behind this sort of level of investment. And they probably won't ever invest as much in it as they've put into the forward logistics. All that's to say, it takes a lot of delicate work to get some things out to you. It can be difficult shipment or an inexpensive product. And the cost of delivering that can end up being a considerable portion of what the business is sort of charging you for. There have been various attempts to make it easier, right? So you'll see things like drop off your Amazon orders at Whole Foods or at Kohl's. Target will take the stuff out of your trunk. Yeah, the UPS store, you don't even have to repackage them. They'll package them for you and make the whole thing happen. Yeah, Walmart Spark drivers will pick something up off of your doorstep. So like there have been quite a few ways that the companies are trying to dial back on the number of instances that would be a refund. But at the end of the day, some things just don't make sense to bring back, especially if it's defective, especially if it's shipped from a far distance or inconveniently. More likely, more frequently, this stuff tends to be on lower cost items, less expensive items. It's probably not going to be that flat screen 4K TV that you had your eye on. More likely, a significantly less expensive product. And then again, like the idea too, the reason you may have initiated this return is that you don't actually want this product. I mean, you might be okay with it, but you really wanted the thing that you bought and companies at the end of the day, are really interested in making sure that you're satisfied as a customer. They want you to be happy. They want you to be receiving the product that you asked for, that you desired, that meets your expectations. And if it doesn't, they're going to try to keep you. And that brings up the last part of this, right? They're not doing this blindly. They know who you are and they know your purchase history and they are aware of what's going on. So they're not necessarily going to give this to just anybody who buys something. If you have a decent purchase history with the company and you generally play by the rules, then they'll be more likely to cut you a break on something that you say in good faith is not working out. Interesting. You know, this phenomenon could be driven by some sort of plan within the company to ratchet up really effective customer loyalty and retention because, wow, how nice. The store said to me I was going to return it. You know what? You've been a great customer. In this particular case, 
just keep it and we'll still refund the money. And a customer walks away, and I know this to be true because I'm familiar with the experience. Some people do walk away and say, wow, that was so nice. So it's an interesting customer retention tactic. But I'll tell you one thing beyond that, in the end, at the end of the day, these companies want to and need to make money. At the bottom line, these companies have to remain profitable. So things like this are reflected as a cost to the company, even if there's good reason to do it, that being retain customers, whatever else. Or it may be that it's more costly to pay for the return than it is to refund the item and let you keep it. Whatever that may be, in the end, these companies have to be profitable. Another concerning factor out of all this is someone ultimately has got to pay the price to make up the difference in the cost the stores now have to pay if this becomes more deeply embedded in the process of returning an item. So I don't know where all that goes. Dominic, do you see that as a factor? Will all the rest of us have to bear the price of people being able to keep items without having to return them? I would suggest that we already are bearing the price. So these things are worked into the cost of business already because returns, even with stores, are a fact of life. And not everything that you return to a store is able to be resold, right? Even if you take it to the returns desk, which you're not going to get a (laughs) returnless refund in the store. If you have the item, they're going to want it back. But what happens at a lot of return desks, you know, with a satisfaction guarantee or anything else, those items end up getting salvaged out, what they call disposed of. They get evaluated. If it can be sold and restocked, they will. But in a lot of cases, it can't. And in those cases, that's again a loss. And that's something that contributes to another word that you might have heard a lot this fall and last year is shrink. Inventory shrink is contributed by these returns that have to get either left with the customer, written off otherwise, that says this inventory is no longer here. And again, these are costs that are pretty well part of the business process so far. And the other thing that I would say about it is that returns, so in the store, we've described that, right? They evaluate it. Can they sell it or throw it away? That's one in-store thing. There's companies now that specialize in doing that for e-commerce returns. They evaluate whether this returned product can be resold, salvaged, or sent somewhere else. So the company's not getting its full value back simply by getting the merchandise back. And so those questions really inform their calculations about whether it's worth it to even bother in the first place. They're trying to make those costs come down for themselves with those steps that I just said about lowering the the friction for a customer to bring something back. It should be a shorter drive incentivizing you to come back and try it out. There's also ways that they offset the price of that, right? You might start to see a few more restocking fees, right? If somebody says, well, I don't want this thing and you need to take it back to the store, the store can say, and some do, we're going to charge you a few dollars to deal with this return, the process of the return. You'll get most of your money back, but we need a little bit to offset those charges. So all those things together, it's something that companies are looking at very closely. And it is an area where fraud happens. That is a serious question. And there are sort of criminal intents that do try to take advantage of these loopholes. And those places, again, are areas that these companies are working very hard to contain, control, and minimize as much as possible. And as I said at the top, the costs exist already in these companies. And those costs do get passed on to the price that you pay in the first case. Of course, all the rest of us end up paying the price for items returned and either not resold or items not returned, but still refunded. Very interesting. Dominic, do you happen to know 
in closing, roughly, do we have any information on what percentage of return transactions end up with not being required to actually be returned yet, still getting the money refunded? That part is a little bit tricky. Most companies aren't going to tell you their own math about disclosing this or not. The figure from the National Retail Federation was $247 billion worth of e-commerce purchases that were returned. It's some percentage of that, and obviously a de minimis percentage of that, that actually ends up in this uh, phenomenon of a retailer telling you, you know what, just keep it, we'll still refund your money. Very interesting stuff. Dominic Reuter, senior reporter, Retail Desk at businessinsider.com. We really appreciate you bringing the story to us. Thanks for chatting. All right. Today's kind of been a celebration for the state of Michigan again, uh, celebrating the state of Michigan's birthday. It's founding back in 1837. And one of the things that makes our state so great, you hear this all the time wherever you go. We have great people in the state of Michigan. Something about the people. Good, wholesome, down to earth. You know, just good old people, Midwestern values. And some people go above and beyond. Amazing things happen when people are needed. And boy, do our Michiganders step up. Have you been following? There's been a couple of stories recently in the news, you know, with the warmer temperatures, the ice that formed on some lakes now is melting. And what's happening is that people who, I don't know, for whatever reason, feel they need to go out on the ice are falling through, putting their lives at risk. And the amazing thing that happens when people are in trouble like this, certain people just have, without thinking about it, they just jump into action and do what's required in order to help that person. Got a couple of stories, Kristen. I know you've followed them. One, a pizza delivery driver and an officer helped a 12-year-old boy who fell through the ice. How about that? That's really scary. I mean, talk about being at the right place at the right time. Well, and thank God. Oh, and thank God, yeah. So this was Dundee, Michigan, and uh, this was, again, a 12-year-old boy who went out on the ice in Monroe County, and he fell through. Police Chief Jonathan Garza says it was a Hungry Howie's pizza delivery driver from Clinton Township jumped into action. He heard the boy screaming when he fell through, and he immediately called 911. Then emergency crews arrived within a few minutes, and the Dundee police officer, Joe Shoemaker, made his way out onto the ice to save that victim. Unfortunately, the officer also fell through the ice then, but both ultimately made their way out. Now, the police officer, of course, it is his job, but nonetheless, there he was, without putting a lot of thought into it, grabbing his flotation device and heading out there to save that boy, putting himself at risk. And it's just amazing to see people doing that, and we're so thankful that they do. Thank you, Officer Shoemaker. And so glad that 12-year-old boy is okay. I think one of the morals to the story is here, look, We've got warmer temperatures going on right now. Yeah. Don't go out onto the ice. It's way too risky. I mean, we have the thaw and the freeze, and it's too unpredictable. You know, Kristen, you brought the story to our awareness, and when you presented it, you felt it was really heartwarming. It is. I mean, in this story, as well as another story, unfortunately, where a man fell through the ice and was saved by his dog and another police officer, In both cases, the police officers and the emergency personnel didn't even stop to think. Right. To think that people would risk their own life to save somebody else's. Heartwarming, reassuring, and I'll even throw in inspiring. It is inspiring. It is. People doing their job to the degree to which they'd even put their own lives on the line. Right. Thank you. Thank you to all of our great first responders out there who are on the job and then some. All right. Listen, Mark. I'm going to go to you. I know you're a homer. You're going Lions I'm all going the way. I'm going Lions all but, the way. Okay, all the way. Now, Mark, is that your heart 
talking or have you really thought through the two teams? No, I've thought it through. This team could really pull this up. And why do you think that is? Because they got so many weapons. And if they play a perfect game, they're they as good play. as anybody. I think for me, it's probably comes down to, they're both good in the trenches up front. I think it comes down to uh, probably the play of the quarterback. Which quarterback's going to show up and light it up in that game? And I think that probably could make the difference. All right, Kristen, you got a pick? You're going Lions. I'm going Lions. Of course. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. What, what, Kristen, do you think it comes down to the offensive or defensive <laughs> line? Or wow, what do you think? Honestly, I think it's a combination of both. Of plus both. Okay. Jared Goff. Plus Jared Goff. Yeah. All right. That means, guys, if you guys are right, the Lions are headed to the Super Bowl. Listen, I love a good Cinderella story, and I feel like that's what Detroit is offering us. I mean, I know everybody's been talking about, oh, you know, the city of Detroit needs this. And a lot of people have painted Detroit in kind of a negative light. I don't think that's true. I think it's a good Cinderella story. And people love when the underdogs come ahead and win. Kristen, to your point, there was actually a survey done or some sort of research done to determine out there beyond Detroit and beyond San Francisco, just the the heartland out there. What team are they pulling for? Apparently, 75% of non-Detroit or non-San Francisco fans are pulling for Detroit. They love the story. That's really amazing. That's really great. All right, it'll be fun either way, guys. And listen, the cool thing is, let's just remember one thing. We really can't lose. If we lose, what an amazing season. Who expected this? Really a beautiful thing. All right, listen, thanks for joining us here on Let's Go Michigan. We're signing off now. We'll be back again next Saturday right here on the great voice of the Great Lakes, WJR.